Glad you could join us today. My name is Daniel Cavanaugh, and I'm here with my dad, Charles. This is Crosstalk, the gospel for today and beyond. We're in pursuit of growing in our understanding of the gospel and discovering what it means to transfer to the next generation. And we are continuing in our uh, series on passivity. Last week we looked at biblical examples of passivity. And in some ways we're going to continue to look at biblical ex examples, but we're going to kind of switch gears and look at how these biblical examples, plus one, because there's going to be a couple from last week and then one that we didn't look right. at last week, how these biblical examples were confronted in Scripture by actual people. Right. Um, and I think this is important because passivity, if not dealt with, will continue to be passive. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know? Let's say we are passive in a particular area then we ought to recognize from these illustrations some ways God will bring things into our lives to move us off of dead center right. and get us to act in a way we ought to act. And so when we recognize them, we want to respond to them. Right, and we want to see, the, the ultimate goal here is, is how these confrontations, if you will, these confrontings, if you will, um, how that, what are the implications for our lives, basically? You know, how does it uh, hold implications exactly. for us? So, first one as we jump into here is Barak. Um, Barak was one who needed confronting. Right. Uh, if you've read the story and familiar, you would know what we're talking right. about. Right, it's in Judges chapter 4. And it's right uh, a, uh, two or three gener couple of generations into the Judges period where God gave rulers that were called judges or governors that led the people of Israel. And it was a period of time in which the people of Israel were would get all on fire to do what God wanted to do. Then they'd fall into rebellion and idolatry and sinfulness. God would send some other group of people to chasten them and uh, suppress them and defeat them. And then they'd cry out to God and follow God for a while. And this leader would help them to defeat these enemies. And in the midst of this, we see a couple of persons that are really interesting in Scripture. One is Deborah, who was the judge at this time, the governor. And she was also a prophetess, so she spoke for the Lord. She got a word from God, literally got a word from God. And and then there was a fellow by the name of Barak. And so there are a couple of things we want to notice, because Barak is the one who illustrates passivity. But we want to see something about the confrontation God will bring to when us. When you say passivity, you mean he was not willing to take the responsibility of leading God's people against this enemy. Well, he wasn't acting. He was Barak was evidently a military leader. Mm -hmm. And so... Uh, uh, what we find, first of all, is how Barak ignored a problem. And the problem was that uh, Sisera was the leader of their enemies, and they were giving them fits. And, but he was not, being a military leader, he should have been the person who said, where do you want me to go? We'll take care of this. Right. Uh, he, and I say he ignored it because... Um, Later, it's going to be brought to his attention that God had already given some direction on this. So, um, uh, he should have embraced the problem. Uh, and so, what we see in verse 6, if you're reading the account in chapter 4 of Judges, is that he ignored a command of the Lord. In fact, Deborah will say to him, uh, uh, Has God not commanded to go and fight against Sisera? And you can understand his hesitation. Sisera, by my, what I've read, had something like 100,000 soldiers. And he was going to have about 10,000. Right. So he was outnumbered. But if he knew his history, that has never been a problem before. And not for God's people. Right. And not for God's command. So anyway, so that so we see how Barak ignored the problem. I don't want to attribute to him something Scripture doesn't. But 
Was he fearful? He was certainly hesitant. He was passive. It's definitely not a positive situation that's going on. Exactly. So then we see how, see how Barak addressed a problem. He wasn't addressing it. Why did he? Why, uh, why did Barak address the problem? And he did it at the prodding, almost at the command and direction of Deborah. And Deborah says to him, the Lord's command, and he has it, the Lord commanded, he brings attention to the fact that God's commanded to defeat Sisera. So they have a conversation, and he agrees to go, but only if Deborah will go with him. And so you see here a lack of, he, he's really having to be pushed into action. When he was well, military leader, he should have jumped into action. And she also tells him that, you know, it's going to be said that, the, that a woman gave the victory. The Lord delivered the, yeah. our enemies into the hand of a woman. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I don't want to get too much into what Scripture doesn't say, but obviously we believe in a very complementary meaning that men are to be the primary leaders mm -hmm. of spiritual leaders, that is. And this is a spiritual context. Even though there was a governmental, we have to realize that right. Israel was ruled, it was a theocracy. And, it was yeah. not a monarchy at the time. And, right. and so I think, I think realizing that gives perspective. And at the very least, he was not fulfilling his God-ordained yeah. role. Uh, Deborah was an anomaly. Right. For Israel's history, you didn't have female leaders in the in the Bible. Typically, leadership is male. Right. Um, with some pretty very obvious exceptions. So Deborah, he addressed the. Why did he address the problem? Because he was prodded by someone when he should have embraced the problem himself. So his passivity gla is glaring at us. And so sometimes confrontation may have to come from somebody that it shouldn't come from. Yeah, or that we wouldn't expect. Right. Even yeah. in Scripture, and we'll see some more of that. Okay, so we have Barak, we have David, who we talked about last week as an example, but kind of looking at how he was confronted uh, with his passivity, with his issues, even though yeah. there were many times he gave examples of taking the charge, taking the lead, you know. Yeah, it's... Um, the whole issue with David and Absalom was a problem. We talked last week, and, and the central chapter in all this is Second Samuel 13. But if you read those surrounding chapters, we, we talked last week about David ignoring the problem of Absalom killing one of his brothers who had assaulted Tamar's sister. And, uh, uh, and David ignored it and, uh, uh, and let it slide. But something happened in the midst of that passivity that caused David to have to address the issue. One of the things that was what others saw. You know, it's interesting how, what others see when, when we sin or when we don't do what we're supposed to do. They usually don't see it the way we see it. We're excusing or we're not doing because we think we have a perfectly legitimate reason not to do something. We're passive. And many times if we're passive, that's usually an excuse. But other people, word was getting around. I mean, it's not like you hide these kinds of things. This right. was, and word was getting around. So people saw the result of passivity. We saw the torn relationship in the monarchy, David and his son. They saw the murder. They saw the lack of response to the murder. And don't you know his enemies probably knew it too. Yeah. So there's this inaction, this passivity, and people are, now you're wondering about... Uh, leadership. But it wasn't just what they saw that was important. You know, people don't just observe things and keep their mouths shut. It was also what others said. And uh, if you read uh, um, that passage and you go on down to verse 19, what, 
One, this is the context of Shimei. If our, if our listeners are very familiar with this historical account, they know that Shimei came as David was going along with his people, kicking dust, throwing dust on him, and calling him a son of Belial and all kinds of bad things. And Joab, or one of his leaders, wanted to go up and chop his head off and would have done it in a second. David said, no, perhaps the Lord has sent him to repeat mm-hmm. me. But um, Even so though he Sh- wasn't doing it the right way. <laughs> yeah. But but if Shimei uh, was doing that, I mean, I don't, again, we don't want to read too much of anything. Knowing human right. nature, he wasn't the only one thinking those kinds of things. And right. So, I think we also can see that David was confronted, and this is in a different account, a different story, but was <clears throat> confronted by the prophet Nathan when yeah. it came to his own sin. Now, yeah. obviously he's dealing with an issue of sin, blatant sin. Right. Um but David's, I don't know, sin that he was indulging in caused right. him to be passive in his leadership. Well, not only that, he was passive about dealing with his own sin. He was right. overlooking. So David, uh, was that's a good example of, of the prophet coming and saying, man, you're the man. Deal right. with it. Deal with it. You know? and it's we, interesting how quickly David was willing to be aggressive with this example that Nathan gave. <laughs> right. And then all of a sudden he's like, well, I'm talking about you. Yeah, you're the guy who did this. And they went, oh, bang. Boom. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, so, yes, that certainly goes. In this particular account, in verse 19, you see that people were saying things. Uh, they're saying, in essence, he delivered us from our enemies. Why can't he not deliver us from Absalom? I mean, what happened here? His inaction was getting the people to think, to question his leadership, to question... Right. Why he? I mean, this guy's been a mighty warrior. What's he sitting around for? Why is he inactive? Why is he not delivering us from Absalom? Absalom's now running the show. What's going on here? So people start talking. People start wondering. They express the the mysteries that are in their heart. The one thing that is obvious about what people said was Joab, uh, because in the course of these events, when they finally defeated Absalom and somebody killed Absalom. And so David spends a good bit of time weeping and wailing about Absalom, Absalom. And we can all understand, we can appreciate it's his, son. his son. Yeah. But, but what he was communicating was, by his open weeping and, and not saying something else, was that uh, his enemies held a higher place for him than his friends. Joab said, I think you'd have been happier if Absalom were alive and the rest of us were dead. Mm. You see, what you, we communicate passivity and by then getting our priorities mixed up, you know, his in, Absalom was his enemy, you know. Right. And he was communicating that Absalom was much more important because he was blood and, and than people who stood with him spiritually and militarily and politically. So uh, so what people said was very important. You know, people people see things different than we do from their perspective, and then they, they respond to what they see. So right. that's, that's why this confrontation is so important. Okay, so we, we have Barak, we have David, and Jonah was another one we mentioned um, last week. And what I find fascinating about this, you and I were talking about this, is he was not confronted, in, and the, the others, well, except for Barak, he was confronted by a woman of God. Um, but you look at David and Jonah, in particular Jonah, not necessarily <coughs> confronted by Christian. Yeah. You know, somebody who is a God-fearer, necessarily. Yeah. Which, certainly in the context of the church, we're going to talk about that in another setting, what, what do we do about passivity right. in the church? But, yeah, it is the brother or sister who ought to confront us. In, in the case of Jonah, God himself confronts him. And it's interesting what he used. First of all, we see that Jonah was confronted by pagans. Now, that's interesting. You, and you just 
referred to not being um, quote unquote confirmed by Christians. But Jonah runs and figures he can get away from God and not have to do what God has told him to do because he hates Ninevites. He hates Gentiles. And he knows God's merciful. And if he goes and preaches the gospel, God's not going to send him to preach the gospel if you're not going to save some people. You know? right. <laughs> so, more in a manner of speaking. So he runs. And this is interesting for us that that God will put people in our lives to show us stuff. In this case, he's on the boat. Now, we have to realize boats in those days weren't but about 15, 20 feet at the most, you know, and they get in this horrible storm. And these pagans start thinking biblically of all right. things. Are you running from God? What'd you do? Well, and you I know? think in their own mind, they obviously served different types of gods that were not true gods. But in their mind is, why would you want to make this guy mad? Yeah. Like, why? That's They're thinking yeah. in their own humanness, yeah. if you will. Like, if, if he's your God, don't make him mad. Ironically... Jonah was in the bottom of the boat sleeping. Hmm. Now, that's you, know, you can see somebody being in a uh, a 500 acre um, um, aircraft carrier sleeping in the bottom. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about something that could have been capsized very easily. How in the world was he sleeping? Right. And he was at peace with his decision to run from God. So they they confront him, and he's confronted by pain because he gets spit out into the ocean, thrown out into the ocean, and swallowed by a great fish. So he's, I mean, that was not a comfortable situation. He wasn't just sitting there on a stool in the belly of the fish, you know, meditating on Scripture. He was crying out to God scripturally, and this pain that uh, that God brought into his life was moving him to change, even if unwillingly, to change and not be so passive. Then we see that uh, he was confronted by providence. That This is what we see here, and we've already alluded to that in both of these this was the providence of God. God at work through the circumstances of life, through ordinary people and events, to confront Jonah with his disobedience and his disobedient passivity. And so at this point, Jonah now is coming to see. God stacked a deck mm-hmm. on him. God, this was rigged. You know, this is a fixed fight. Right. You know, Noah, Noah thinks he's run. Excuse me, Jonah thinks he's running from God. He's not. He's running toward God, even though he's trying to run away from God. He can't get away from him. So this says something to us about listening to the voice of God. I, I don't believe God speaks to us in an audible voice, but God sometimes speaks louder than that. I mean, if we're disobeying Him and He throws something right in our path, that's a I th- pretty. Loud. I think providence is something that you see really in every situation of confrontation right. or confronting of our sin. Right. Sometimes they seem more providential than others, mm-hmm. um, but I do think whether it is a brother and sister in Christ, or as we said with Jonah, a pagan. Yeah. Or, or, or a situation that God brings into our lives, it's all providential because yeah. He loves us. Because all these things we're talking right. about, we've just talked about a providential. Yeah. When, one question that comes to my mind, kind of drawing this to a close: What implications do you think these examples, and I, without the obvious implications, maybe what implications do these examples give to us on confronting, um, you know, passivity, whether it's in our own life or in other people's lives? I think we need to be attentive for our, ourselves first, is that sometimes we'll let things go, we'll not act or speak, whatever. We'll just think we can, our inactivity will not be that important. And God will often use a sermon or a testimony or a person who sees our passivity who will confront us and say, Brother, you need to deal with this, you need to do something about this. Uh, so we need to be ready 
to respond and to recognize things. it. Yeah, quickly. Yeah. Because David was not quick to recognize these things. Barak had to be dragged into battle. Jonah had to be dragged out of the belly of a fish and, and had to be dragged through the ocean. You know, these guys weren't willing uh, responders. So one would want to be willing and open to rebuke and response. I, I, I read one fellow who said he prayed that God would send him someone to rebuke him once a week. <laughs> I haven't been ready to pray that, <laughs> yeah. but, but we do need it. People, it's, it's like this brother said, it's not, we don't, it's not that we don't get rebuked because we don't need it. We get, don't get rebuked because we're not open to it. People don't see us as open to it. Right. For, for the, those who are not Christian, those who are seeing it in others, we ought to be willing to compassionately but clearly confront passivity. The church needs to confront passivity. Well, I think we have to recognize, you said recognize, but we also have to receive. Mm -hmm. um, and in somewhere in between there, we might want to seek it out. Okay? Because it's a whole lot more painful when someone comes to you and blindsides <coughs> you with it than if you go, I'm passive, I'm going to ask you as my brother in Christ or my sister in Christ to show or say to me where you see these areas in my life. So we have to recognize it and receive it. And see it in the family. Yeah. yeah this family is a laboratory for these things. What, is, right. Abraham, what did Isaac fail to do? He had two sons who were at with each other. He not only was passive about that, apparently, but then uh, didn't uh, uh, did some things to foster it. Right. So we need to look at our family, our children, our wives, our husbands, and be willing to act and say, mm -hmm. even if it's painful, to act. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, we're out of time, but I think we will continue to see the implications of these things as we continue in our series right. on this issue of passivity. So. Yep. Well, we do thank you for joining us today. We look forward to being with you next week. Crosstalk is a production of Vision for Living Ministries. This is a free resource, but if you would like to support us, you can do so by visiting visionforliving.org forward slash support. For more information on Vision for Living Ministries, visit our website where you will find other resources, including our blog. You can also find us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash V4L. We would love to hear from you. You can email us at info at visionforliving.org or send us a message on Facebook. Join us next week on Crosstalk, the gospel for today and beyond.